0: I don't want people to slave away at a job they hate. However, if you don't build that work ethic at the job that you hate, you're probably not gonna have it when you go get your perfect job. When you quit that job to go be an entrepreneur and you don't have the muscles that are built that you needed from working very hard, you're gonna fail at that too.
1: Welcome to A Better Life with Brandon Turner. That is me, where world-class guests share their wisdom on building a better life. Join me as we explore the habits, the actions, and the beliefs that have guided their journey with the aim of helping you apply those lessons to your
0: own.
1: Everybody, what's going on? Hey, wow. Hello, yeah, that's right. All right. I just came from some breath work. Anybody ever done breath work before? Like real good, like, yeah, whoa. So I'm a little jittery right now in a very good way. So Ryan Kennedy, wherever you are, you're awesome, man. With that said, this is (laughs) A Better Life with Brandon Turner. We're actually doing a live podcast recording right now, and we're going to talk about the real story of real estate. So we're going to talk about all the ways that it's hard and all the ways that it sucks and all the ways that it's difficult, but all the ways that is amazing and how you can use it to build financial independence and freedom and all that good stuff. So this is my good friend, David Green. Anybody heard of him? David, first question I have for you is the same way we begin, sort of begin every episode of the show. We donate all the profits from every, all all the ad revenue from, I say profits every time, but it's really ad revenue, all the ad revenue from every episode toward a charity or a cause or a mission of the guest's choosing. Hmm. So to throw it at you, what breaks your heart? What should we throw this money toward?
0: That is such a good question and a terrible one to start the podcast with because <laughs> I would need some more time to think about that. All
1: right, you think about that for a little bit and then I'm going to come back to you because normally I prep guests ahead of time, but I did not prep you on that one.
0: Yeah, and normally that's not a problem, but the best charity, you don't want to get that one wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty big. Does this remind you of the last time that we recorded in the Seashed where, so you guys don't realize it when you're watching the podcast, our faces are like this close. Yeah, they're very close. Like his blue eyes are captivating. It's very difficult <laughs> to think and look at Brand. I just have to do it. I can't look away, right? He just said it on purpose. He shot me those daggers. There's a little more safe space in this point now where you're not as distracting. Mm, a little more. This is and our a, leg hairs aren't tickling like yeah, they do that, when that we're sitting in the Seashed.
1: <laughs> that is so true. Uh, all right, man. Well, why don't, we, why don't we kick things off with a little bit of, uh, I know you, David Green, as a very successful real estate investor. You are the pioneer in a lot of ways and the proponent of long distance real estate investing and burr investing. You have been the, shouting those things from the rooftop for years. You've written a lot of books. Uh, they sell very well. You are a real estate agent that is one of the top agents in the entire country. You are a good jujitsu roller. Is that a word? And a great friend. But before all that, before all of that, who was David Green? What's your background a little bit for those who maybe don't know who you are?
0: That's a great question. Yeah, you take us back somewhere. You should be a podcast host. I should be, be good a podcast at this. host. I started off life in a challenging circumstance. I mean, like my needs were met, but family life was rough. I struggled with confidence quite a bit. Most things that I saw other people doing, I had a belief that I wasn't good enough to do them, whatever it was. it was I thought that was a normal way of living. And then as I got older, I realized not everyone has those same thoughts. So you would see people doing jujitsu and think that's fun. My first thought was, I could never do that. I am not good enough to do that. I don't deserve to do something that cool. And so I would just avoid going to do that. And that sort of became a habit. Graduating college, I felt God putting it on my heart, very strong that I needed to get in law enforcement. I had never had a desire to do law enforcement before. That, that was cool like everyone else does, but it just, I was sort of in the service industry. I worked in restaurants and I was pretty good at saving money. It got so powerful that I had no choice but to do it. It was like a compulsion. I remember like sitting in the shower, have you ever done that where you sit down in the shower and no. have like the deepest, someone said, <laughs> yeah. They, it's like deep thoughts mode, right? Like you got something really big going on in your life and just thinking, I'm gonna do this and I don't care if it kills me, I have to move forward with what that is. And I now know looking back, that was God's spirit putting me in a situation where I would develop the confidence that I had been lacking. Like he was sort of stepping in this role to play a father that my own dad hadn't played very well. And it changed who, how I saw myself and who I ended up becoming. You get put in these situations with tension, with resistance, with difficulty, that you have no choice, but you either die or you rise to the occasion to solve what's going on. And as a man, at least, I don't know what it's like to go through life as a woman, but I don't know if it's the same thing. The experience that you have is so different when you like yourself, when you respect yourself versus when you're living underneath the umbrella of those thoughts I was describing. So there was sort of David pre-law enforcement and then David post-law enforcement. That did a lot for my ability to recognize like, when life challenges me, I have what it takes to step up. I can do it. Whereas before it was an automatic, oh, this is getting hard. It's just not for me. Let somebody else go do it. And then I just stumbled into real estate investing. I bought my first house from a, a buddy who was going to lose. He was moving out of the state to go to Bible college and he was going to lose his earnest money. And I stepped in to buy it to save him and thought maybe someday I'll live in it. i was rented out in the meantime. This was 2009. Not a bad time to get into investing. And made every mistake you could possibly make. Hired a property manager who was terrible, but way better at it than me. And realized like, oh, that's what I was doing wrong. You just got to get somebody else who's good at it. Bought a house every year after that. Slowly started to identify as a person who's a real estate investor, totally by accident. Had no purpose for ending up there. And then I started getting a lot of attention for owning rental properties I started buying out of state, the whole thing kind of steamrolled. And then one day at a GoBundance event, Andrew Cushman and I were talking to Hal Elrod, who had just been on the Bigger Pockets podcast, which we love. And I remember saying to Andrew, how the hell is Hal Elrod on that show when we're not? He knows nothing about real estate. <laughs> and he's right there. And that led to us talking to Hal and Hal sending an email to you and Josh and saying, hey, I think you guys should get on the show. And four days later, Hillary had emailed me back and she's like, we want you on in three days. And I started Googling how to be good at a podcast because I had no idea how to speak or how to talk. And then I remember the very first time that you were there, you were eating a bowl of soup and you started it by saying, I'm just eating a bowl of soup. And I was like, I know, man, it's Zoom. I can see what you're doing. (laughs) And that's how our relationship started. Oh, wow! that was magic. All
1: right, so a couple of things I want, I want to pull If you're
0: wondering, Brandon told me that was one of the best shows that we've ever done, just like he tells everybody else. I tell else. every guest. <laughs> At I the end of the they're always like super happy, and I'm like, that was the
1: best show. No, I don't do that. That was a great show, except for you making fun of me for the entire episode. Does anybody remember the episode where David was on the very first time? Anybody happen to remember what he was making fun of me for?
0: Good. Not <laughs> the soup. Good guess. It was not the soup. Nobody s- listened to that one? Episode 169, huh? They just don't remember.
1: It wasn't that big of a deal. That's good. All right, let's move on. We're going <laughs> to.
0: So, Brandon quoted himself during the show. I did not quote myself. I simply said something, yeah. I don't
1: think I said someone wise once said. I think I said one of my favorite quotes is, and then I said something His that I had quote. said. <laughs> it would have been awkward to be like, you know a wise thing that I once said was? That would have been weird. And so I thought I would like subtly say the line and make it sound like somebody else did it. And they made it weird, and 100%. Made, David... <laughs> David wouldn't let it go. The and entire then a, a episode. game of
0: Thrones episode aired with Tyrion Lannister doing the same thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And yeah, I think that's when our friendship said. took like a next level when yeah. I brought that back. And mm. Josh Dorkin was there who takes every chance he gets to bust Brandon's cojones yeah. and uh, absolutely <laughs> jumped on with me. So yeah, that was how it started.
1: Yeah. That was wild. All right. I, I will say one of your superpowers, I'm going to throw a tip to everybody out here. That's something that David is very good about doing. I don't even know if you're, you know, you're doing this on purpose, but he's very good. And I've since adopted this has been very good. How many of you ever been on a podcast episode before have Anybody's show ever. Okay, a number of you. It's a good way, by the way, just to get out there uh, uh, to explain what you've done. If you've done any real estate, it's definitely worth doing it to get better at explaining how you do things. So I recommend it. But here's the, the magic of what David does. Every time you're on a podcast, at the end of it, you're an like hour, hour and a half in. You feel really good about that person. You feel like you're best friends. And so then, David, you always say at the very end, hey, can I grab your cell phone number? And then you send them a, a text of someone, hey, I'm gonna shoot you a text later with XYZ. And then you do, you send him a text later. So what you did with me at the very end, you just go, Hey, can I get your cell? I want to send you something you, we were talking about. So I gave you my cell phone number. Because again, like we're best friends at that point, an hour right. and a half into a conversation. And then that was uh, you started just sending me like stupid like yeah. stepbrother memes. Memes and like
0: gifts. <laughs> gifts.
1: Yeah. And like once a month or so for the next like six months, you just send me some stupid thing. And I didn't even know who like I was like, I think this guy was on the podcast. I don't really remember who he was. I think it was like hop guy. And you just kept like this regular every week, two, three, four week follow up with me, and then at one point you're like, "Hey, you should join Go Abundance." And I'd heard about that, and so I'm like, "I don't know anybody there." You're like, well, "I'll be there," you know, and so we ended up hanging out at the Go yeah. Abundance thing. It's just such a cool networking tip in terms of like, he wasn't asking for anything, he wasn't trying to do anything, he was just building a friendship in a very non weird, awkward way. And I've seen you now do that like a lot since, and I've uh, adopted that as, yeah, get people's cell phone numbers and just follow up. Not weirdly, just send stepbrother quotes and you'll be fine. Mm-hmm.
0: Who doesn't? I, do. I mean, if they don't like a stepbrother meme, then it's not someone you want as your friend. It's, <laughs> <That's like> a, <laughs> it's a litmus test. Do we just become best friends? Yep. <laughs>
1: so Very much, nice. So much room for activities. All right. So let's talk about real estate investing right now. It is not 2009 anymore. It is not 2010, 11, 12, when things were easy and anybody who bought anything, like, you know, put a blindfold on, throw a rock, yeah. hit a great deal. Does it work anymore? Big question.
0: It doesn't work the way it used to work, mm. I'll say. Now, of course, there's always an exception. There will be somebody who raises their hand and says, I found a deal that works according to the 2012 rules. That always will be the case. But yep. generally speaking, is anybody in here having a hard time finding properties that cash flow positively when you buy them? There's four of you. The rest of you are finding cash flow properties everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> this Less is so right. indicative of the fact that no one wants to admit how hard it is mm. and how bad they feel because they can't get this done. There's a lot of reasons why that may be, and we can talk about that, but I feel like one of the big problems is we set a standard and expectation of what was normal that started in 2010, which was probably the best time to buy real estate in my lifetime, or even before my lifetime that I'm aware of. And we thought that was normal. And then because we're human beings, we found negative things to look at. Oh, it's only a 25% cash on cash return, but there's no value add here like real estate investing so hard, you have to deal with angry tenants. And we found the reasons to poo-poo it. And so much of the content was made was trying to get people to overcome their hesitancy to do a scary thing. And then real estate became expensive, at least in the markets where I was living, like the coastal markets. And then it was, how do we get you to overcome your fear of investing in another state? And that, so that book was written. Then it became, how do we get you to overcome your fear of scaling? The Burr Method was real. There was always an objection that we were trying to overcome with people. Yeah. And the irony is that now people would give anything to go back to 2013, right? Those problems don't seem that scary anymore. It doesn't seem that bad. Now we're in an era where owning real estate, period, is a win. It doesn't have to be a deal that cash flows right out the door. I think the solution is that we need to adjust our expectations, frankly, the same way that we needed to in 2014 if we wanted to move forward getting a deal. And there's a lot of resistance to that because the way that it's been presented the last 10 years was not, this is the best time ever. You're crazy if you don't do this. It was normal. Just that's objections everyone had. But if you look at the rest of the world, they don't have cash flowing rental properties from the first year that you buy them. Yeah.
1: So do you think, and this is maybe something that we uh, disagree on a little bit, and maybe not, should somebody buy a property that is negative cash flow? Should somebody buy a property that is break even? Should somebody only buy a property that cash flow? When we're talking rental properties, let's Mm -hmm. avoid flipping and wholesaling and all that
0: right now. Should you go out with the girl that says no the first time you ask her out? (laughs) Took me four tries. Right? How long did it take Jacob in the Bible to get the wife that he wanted? Seven years, 14 years. Seven plus another seven, 14 years. Do you think he regretted it when he got her? Mm. Uh, This may not be the perfect analogy. (laughs) It's a pretty good one. But the thought would be every woman in here is like, the answer is no. He did not regret that. Yes. You all need to do it. The right deal, yes, you can buy that doesn't cash flow. Also, the right circumstance in life. There may be someone who doesn't have 14 years to wait to be able to get married for someone. We've preached for so long, make sure that it cash flows, because the way that people lost properties to foreclosure before 2009 or eight was because they did not look to see what cash flow was. They did not understand that concept. It was pure speculation. It was like a stock. You buy a brand new home, you sell it a year later, and you make 100 grand. Everyone's doing it then they lost their homes and when we asked like well how did how did you make sure you're going to pay the mortgage that they looked at us like we we had a hole in our head like what does that mean what is cash flow what are you yeah. talking about there are certain people that that are in a situation in life that they cannot buy property that doesn't cash flow if you are living paycheck to paycheck if you don't have a lot of money set aside if you're not doing well financially you could invest in real estate a long time ago it is I don't wanna say don't do it, it is much riskier. I'm advising more people to not buy real estate because of the situation that they're in in life now than I ever did before. Then you have somebody else that maybe saves $20,000 a month. They have a great business that's going on, they live beneath their means, they have managed their money very well, they've earned the right to sort of delay gratification. I remember a conversation that you and I had specifically where we were we were first sort of toying with this idea of is it heretical to not buy for cash flow? And we were looking at an example of like, okay, this property in Indiana cash flow is $400 a month. It's worth $60,000. In 10 years, it's going to be worth $65,000. Mm-hmm. And then a property in Malibu that you could buy for $8 million on the beach, but you're going to lose five grand a month. You're going to lose sixty dollars a year. If you go fast forward five years, that $8 million property is probably going to be like a $13 million property. You're talking about a $5 million gain to lose $300,000 over that same period of time. You can't lose with the Malibu property, but during that interim, you need to have a lot of capital to survive. And I sort of realize there is a pattern in general with real estate where the properties that are going to appreciate the most, that end up being the safer bet, will not have immediate gratification of cash flow that people want. And and part of why that's such a hard concept for people to grab a hold of is they believe the purpose of real estate investing is to build cash flow to quit a job, to build cash flow to buy a car, to build cash flow to get a girlfriend. Like, if cash flow becomes the magic pill for everyone that doesn't like their life, if you just had cash flow, you could change everything. And I think that has sort of been a cancerous ideology that isn't very healthy. And you notice, I'm sure, as the we both are working with training and teaching a lot of investors, the ones that show up with the attitude of "Yeah, I'm here because I don't like work. I don't like hard work." Always struggle. The ones that succeeded at all the things they did before, and then they come into this, they end up figuring out how to do this too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's almost no successful real estate investor I know that grew a big business and then just went and retired on the beach. It's very, very rare, right? Like anybody who's able to attain financial freedom isn't actually able to take financial freedom. And so I see that all the time with this, yeah, the, the lazy kind of approach to, to real estate investing. So just having a good idea that like, this is going to be hard. I'm going to be in this forever is maybe a good yeah. approach. But so what about the person who can't afford to lose cash flow? They, they can't afford to lose that cash flow. Let's say they have the right mindset. Hey, I'm in this for a long time, but I only make 65 grand a year at my job. I'm a fireman. I'm
0: a teacher. I'm a, you know, whatever. Should they just not do real estate? We all have something that we can give up a value. The obvious thing we look to is money because money is the easiest valuable thing to shift from one person to another. That this is another topic. That's my opinion. Why taxes are so popular because it's very easy for me to take money from someone else and give it to these people. Right. <laughs> and if you could just convince yourself that it's not fair that they have it and these people should, you can do it. There's a lot of things in life that would follow the same logic, but we don't do it because it's hard to do. Like, for instance, is it fair that some people get to be skinny and other people are fat? Wouldn't it be fair that we have to take fat from fat people and liposuction it out and stick it on the skinny people (laughs) to, like, create equality in this entire thing? Well, we don't do that because it's very difficult to do, but that logic works the same. When you're in a position that you don't have money and you can't give up money to get into real estate, you still have comfort. Mm. You can give up comfort. You still have time you can give up time, you can give up immediate gratification. This comes up so much with someone who's bad with their money and they don't have enough to buy real estate. I only have $4,000. What can I do with $4,000? Then I ask the question, well, why do you only have $4,000? And the conversation slowly dies. Okay. (laughs) They're working a job. They're very comfortable working that does not require very much of them. They are not willing to give up the comfort zone of, well, I work at an Amazon warehouse and, I make $15 an hour and my rent's $2,500 a month, so I can't really save money. And I'll say, well, have you thought about asking for a promotion? I hate that place, I don't wanna be like my boss. Okay, have you thought about looking for another job? Well, I got this car payment, I have all this debt, I really can't, it turns into this, there's an excuse they can't leave, right? Well, have you thought about getting rid of your apartment and moving in with someone else and paying them to rent a room from them? I really like my space. I need peace. You know, I'm a person who really is in tune with my environment, so I can't do that. Or, you know, they want $1,000 for a room. Well, have you thought about offering to clean their house, do their laundry, cook their food, go shopping for them, and then you can live for free? Man, I just, I I really want to live life on my terms. I'm like, but you just told me you only have $4,000. You haven't earned the right to live life on your terms, right? You can always give up comfort. And I think comfort is incredibly expensive. And everyone just got uncomfortable when I said that <laughs> because all these ideas popped in our head of things that we are doing that are costing us the future that we want to have. And then it, it reveals a condition of your heart that the difference, the very first blog post I ever wrote for Bigger Pockets was about the difference between wanting something and liking something. If you ask everyone in this room, do you want a million dollars? Who here would say, no, I don't want that? Right? But then if you said, what are you doing to get a million dollars? Very few of the people in here would be taking the steps that millionaires take. Mm. So the truth is they don't want a million dollars. Do you want to look like The Rock? Yes. You do, right? <laughs> would you want to actually go do... <laughs> <laughs> Who here would actually want to go work out with The Rock and try to keep his pace
1: and eat his diet?
0: <laughs> few who's, w- who's waking up at 4.30 and pushing themselves so they throw up in the weight room and then being told that you actually had more to give? That was kind of pathetic. You... We don't want to look like The Rock. If I want to look like The Rock, I would. I promise you I'd be doing what The Rock is doing. It's a price I'm not willing to pay. Yeah. And I'm just honest with myself. What I, I would like to look like The Rock. Yeah. Okay. If the workout fairy came and touched me with the head or the money fairy said, I bestow a million dollars on you, I would take it. But if I wanted it, I'd be doing things, right? So the truth is when you get into this financial independence, financial freedom, wealth building journey, it reveals the condition that your heart's already in. And that is a very unpopular way of looking at this. What is more popular is for someone to tell you it's unfair. The chips are stacked against you. Other people have wealth. If you had only been born into a different situation, you could do the same thing, which is hilarious because we live in a country where it is liter- literally easier to make money than anywhere in the world at the easiest time. There's people making six figures on YouTube showing people how to put on makeup. Yeah. Like <laughs> put yourself in, in Argentina right now or Venezuela and tell me it, that's hard to become a millionaire, someone like that. We come up with reasons to justify not doing what it would take to be good. Not Just like with working out, you can't deny it. With money, you can make excuses for why it doesn't happen. So I'll wrap that up by saying if you are not giving up comfort and you're not financially successful, you don't want it. You would just like it. Mm. Yeah, so it's a question of do, yeah, do your actions align with your vision, right? Like, is,
1: You say you want this thing. If right. it's not aligning there, you got a problem. It's one thing we do in the tribe. A lot of you have done it, the tra- kind of the training we've done, which is this idea of what's your identity for your life? Like, who do you want to be when you, when you grow up, right? Like, this is my identity. I want to be a millionaire that's financially free. Great. Well, what does that person do? And then you define those actions. And yeah. then you track those actions. And then at the end of the week, you're like, well, I didn't do any of them. Like, so you what? don't want it. Yes, yeah, so you don't want it. That's exactly it. Like, you're not going to get it. And, and it reveals a hard truth. And I would actually guess a lot of people will end up leaving the better life tribe. They'll end up leaving the habit of tracking your habits. They'll end up leaving all that because it reveals the truth and people don't like to see the truth, right? Nobody, I I, I say this, a wise man once said, no one wants to be a villain in their own story.
0: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And- Profound. (laughs) But it's 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 it's
1: true, and the guy was really smart who said that. It's like, <laughs> th- there's... Have you ever seen that, right? Like, everybody always wants to find a way to make sure that they are the hero of their story and not the villain of their story. No matter what it is, right? A couple breaks up. It's always the other person's yes. fault, right? You're overweight. It's always the other... Not you. You're, you look good. You're, you're like... It's always the other person's fault, right? We don't like to take that accountability, uh, which, again, is why having accountability... Uh, and having the right kind of accountability is so mm-hmm. important. Like if you came to me and you're like, and, and, and you're saying, Hey, oh man, I'm really struggling with this thing. I can't find this. I'm not going to be like, yeah, you're right, man. It's tough. I'm going to be like, well, why not? Like, what are you doing to do it? Like, I'm going to hold you to it just the same way that you're going to hold me. It's actually one reason that David and I become such good friends is because we don't let our BS grow. Like we call each other out and i like, I don't think that's really the case here. What's going on? Yeah. And yeah, if you don't have that in your life, get that in your life. Uh, it's and know powerful. what
0: and know what healthy accountability looks like okay healthy accountability is not the person that walks around pointing the finger at everyone and saying you're making excuses suck it up buttercup <laughs> right no offense Stay Alex, hard. At least, say, yep. yeah that's his favorite thing to say <laughs> there's an example in the bible of jesus criticizing the pharisees right and he's saying you're judging everybody else for not following all these rules and he did not criticize them for the judgment that's how everyone thinks is like if you tell someone that they're wrong you're bad judging is wrong He said, you criticize them, but you don't lift even a finger to help them. Mm, Yeah. The sin in that case was that you love pointing out that other people aren't doing something they should be or they're doing things wrong, but your heart does not want to help them overcome that burden. You are not willing to take some of their struggle and put it on on your shoulders and carry it with them. It makes you feel good to point out somebody else's flaws. Another element of, I think, why Brandon and I's relationship is so good is when you point out, hey, here's a problem that I see, the next thing is, what can I do to help you with that? Mm. Do you want to start joining me with this activity? Would it help if we were doing it together? Do you want me to check in on you? Hey, here's a person that I can help you connect with that will help with this thing. That's missing a lot of time from relationships. And that's, that's love. Yeah. Right?
1: yeah. I want to, I would love to see more of that within like the pods and the better life tribe, which is where, I mean, imagine you, you're on a pod call with somebody and you're in a, in a, in a small group and somebody says, yeah, I'm really struggling with you know, keeping my phone off at night. I just end up scrolling TikTok really late until midnight so that I don't wake up early and then I'm missing the gym and everything. I just want to shut my phone off at night. Great. If I hear one of my pod mates say that, what I want to say in return and what all of you to say in return is great. What time do you want your phone off tonight? And they'll say, uh, I don't know, like eight o'clock. Great. I'm going to call you at 759 and I'm going to make sure, and I'm going to ask you, are you ready to turn your phone off? And what does that require of me 30 I'm going to set an alarm real quick and then call someone or text someone real quick it's so easy to help people get better without judging just I'm going to be there for you I'm going to help you with that so I guess that's just encouragement for everybody if you're in a pod if you're not in a pod I recommend it any accountability group it's powerful but then don't just be the guy who takes give as well ask how can you make sure everybody in that group uh, is performing to the highest level that they've set for themselves and then how can and then by doing so they're going to help you with the same thing
0: yeah, that's what the definition of love is, is doing for someone else what you would want them to do for you. Yeah. And we were talking about you can give up comfort, you can also give up selfishness. Selfishness is expensive. I care about my goals, what I want, who can help me? Most people show up to events like this whether you have, I want to meet someone that's going to change my life. I need that key that's going to unlock the door to the next thing. They don't show up thinking I can be a key to somebody. I want to get to know everyone and figure out, do I have something that will help them get over that hump?
1: Yeah. All right, let's switch gears a little bit and talk real estate uh, specifics. Does house hacking still work today?
0: Yeah, that's, I think, the best strategy of anything. Mm. This is one of the reasons that I, I love house hacking. Even the, as I wrote the long distance book, so many people come to me and ask, like, I live in Miami. I live in California. It's so expensive to buy here. What market can I go buy a house for $110,000? And in every scenario I look at that, it always is financially a better choice to house hack in an expensive market. Yeah.
1: Uh, you know, I would love to tell this quick story of I mean, many of you have probably heard it, but if not, this is such a demonstration of that. So I come to Hawaii uh, five years ago, and I really, I would love to live in Hawaii. So we're looking on Oahu for three months, couldn't find a place, come over to Maui for just a weekend after we'd given up. And I find this open house sign. The first like hour I landed, you know, we landed, we're driving around, see an open house sign, no intention to buy in Maui. And I go to my house and I'm standing on this front the front lanai or the front porch of this house. And I'm like, this is the house, but it's $1.7 million. To give you some context, I was living in Grays Harbor County. The average purchase price for house there was like $85,000. I lived in the most expensive house, like in Grays Harbor. And it was like 280. It was ridiculous. And when I bought the 280, I was like, I'm the biggest idiot in the world. More on that in a second. So there, <laughs> cause I am. Uh, so anyway, so I'm, I'm like, I want this house $1.7 million, but there's no way I could do this. Like, that's crazy talk. So I called David that day. Uh, and we're just like chatting about something else. And I'm explaining, I found this perfect house. It's amazing. He's like, well, go buy it. And I'm like, well, there's no, there's no way. And he's like, well, tell me about the house. I'm like, well, it's, it's three units. Uh, and that's what I liked about it. Uh, you know, it was, uh, there's an upstairs, a downstairs, and a separate house in the back. He's like, great. Well, what, what, you know, what, what would your mortgage payment be on that house? And I'm like, eh, like $6,500, $7,000 a month. And that's way too much. I don't want to spend that. He's like, well, what could you rent the back house out for? Eh, two grand, maybe twenty five hundred what could you rent the bottom for if you had to? Probably three grand, maybe a little more. He's like, okay, so you're saying you're living in Hawaii, you know, house. I was like, yeah, but you know, my income's not guaranteed. Who knows? A lot could go wrong. He's like, okay, so you rent the top out. What could you rent that for? And I was like, I don't know, like four grand. He's like, okay, so let let me get this straight, Brandon. Four, three, and let's call it two, right? So we're at nine. Is that nine? I don't do math. So you have like $9,000 a month and your mortgage payment's like, what, seven with all in? I'm like, Yeah, he's like, even if $2,000 a month was eaten up by repairs, maintenance, management, whatever, you're still breaking even. I was like, yeah. He's like, and then you move back to the mainland, go live back in Grays Harbor County for $85,000 house, and you have a house in Hawaii that someday, he's like, 30 years from now is paid off to zero and will probably be worth $4 million by that point. And I was like, yeah. So he's like, well, worst case scenario, you're making $4 million, and the downside is what? And that conversation changed my life in such a big way because I was like, you're right, real estate's awesome. And I was already <laughs> in real estate, but, but here's what this illustrates. One, house hacking was the way, I don't even rent the basement out. Like I rent out the back unit, but the basement I keep empty. But if I had to, I could. If I had to, I can move back. But here's the biggest point I want to make on this. The house today, or the house up the street, two houses up, smaller house, crappier pool, maybe no pool, worse property, just sold for $4 million. That's five years, my house went from 1.7 to over $4 million. So I didn't even have to wait 30 years. Yeah. Right. So now I'll, I've got millions in equity and a house because I was willing to house hack. So I just, I like that example of house hacking does not have to be about a crappy duplex in the, you know, the bad neighborhood of whatever. Like I bought a multi million dollar house. And you can also think about having a conversation yesterday with somebody is what if you built a property to house hack? Could you build the house hack, especially in Hawaii? That's kind of an interesting idea where you design your house perfectly to be able to house hack. So that's another avenue for house hacking. Anyway, I'll shut up now, your turn.
0: No, I love that story. There's so many lessons that everyone in this room can take away from that, that will make you a millionaire. It's thinking different. The reason you struggled so hard with that house, well, probably one of them was an emotional reason, like yes. I'd be a douchebag to buy a 1.7 yeah, million dollar. Yeah,
1: I don't dollars. deserve a 1.7 million dollar house, So Huge.
0: Brandon had this thing going on where in that conversation, I could tell right away, he feels like he it would be morally wrong to buy a house that expensive But at the same time heather loved it and he was torn up inside (laughs) because he so badly wanted heather to be happy and i'm watching this like internal struggle between like making my wife happy is the most important thing in the world but does this make me a terrible human and could i ever tell them that i ever bought a house that's over a million (laughs) dollars the other element that made this hard was it doesn't cash flow you had been looking down the scope of this cash flow thing for so long that that's the only way to do real estate this felt risky the conversation we had, all it did was just zoom out. You could see, oh, that is a good point. Whereas if you weren't just cash flow binoculars, you probably would have saw that on its own. I remember the conversation and saying like, do you think there's a better place to own real estate in the country than one of the best neighborhoods in Maui, Hawaii? Like, do you really think it's not going to appreciate? And that was a, oh yeah, that is a good point. Every time you talk to an old whitehead that's been investing for a long time, the conversations are about location, location, location. This yeah. uh, Older people that have been doing this have simplified it so much. It's buy in the right location, hold it for a long time. Yeah. And we've talked before that I really think cash flow is not meant to be an offensive wealth builder. How long would it have taken you to make two, $3 million in cash flow? <laughs> a little while. Yeah. Unless you're Methuselah living to 950 years old, that's not happening, right? <laughs> we don't live long enough to build wealth through cash flow in most cases. Equity is something that you have much more control over. The key with revenue from rents and cash flows is defensive. It is to not lose a property. The goal, want to win in real estate? Buy real estate in good locations and wait a really long time. That's it. You guys can go home. You're welcome. You're all millionaires. (laughs) 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 The secret is doing that in a way that you won't lose the property. Okay, so cash flow is a way that we taught people you cannot lose a property if it cash flows. It is not the only way. What if you live beneath your means for longer than you have to? What if you don't go get the BMW as soon as you start making more money? You don't go buy a vacation home that's a terrible deal as soon as you make a little bit of money. You just keep living beneath your means. What if every day you go to work and say, I want to work a little bit harder than I did yesterday? What if you looked at your coworkers like competition that are all trying to beat you and work harder than you, and your goal is to be the hardest worker in the room every single time? Do we have control over that? Yeah, how many people are passionate about waking up and going to work and outperforming all of their competition? Most people have been told that if you have to go to a job at all, you're a victim and it's not fair and there's a better life out there for you and you shouldn't work. I don't want people to slave away at a job they hate. However, if you don't build that work ethic at the job that you hate, you're probably not going to have it when you go get your perfect job. (laughs) When you quit that job to go be an entrepreneur and you don't have the muscles that are built that you needed from working very hard, you're going to fail at that too. So if you get good with managing money, making more than you need, living beneath your means, you earn the right to delay gratification and can buy a property in Maui that to me was like the no-brainer of no-brainers, right? I'm not surprised to hear. That property in 30 years is gonna be worth more like 30 million.
1: <laughs> can you explain your logic on that real quick? Because you, you said something the other day that was just kind of blew my mind in a little bit about how 30 years ago, yes, right? And then looking forward this is
0: years. Everybody that heard Brandon's deal, okay? Every one of you thought, I wish I could go back five years and buy one of those. It must have been nice to be Brandon Turner. Okay. (laughs) But at the time, Brandon was not thinking must be nice to be me. He was like, this is the dumbest financial decision I've ever made. I'm just doing pure luxury. But how many people thought I'm going to go buy some Maui real estate right now? So five years later, that's me. The smart ones thought that. Everybody else (laughs) was like, well, the ship has sailed. It would have been nice to go back, right? Like we've been doing this since 2009. It would have been nice to go back. Meanwhile, the government's just printing money like little Wayne at a strip club. He's like, (laughs) and we, we know factually that this is going to continue, but it's scary. And so we don't move forward. The example I gave to Brandon is looking backwards can bring clarity into this. Think about what your parents paid for their house 30 years ago. Jay, do you mind me asking Austin, Texas? What was the average house worth 30 years ago? What do you think? $100,000, that same house. What's it probably worth today? Same house, 100 to what? A million and a half, okay. When they were buying the house for $100,000, they were thinking it's not worth more than 96. (laughs) I can't believe I'm overpaying for this thing. Everyone was thinking that, right? Do you think a person paying $100,000, that triple digits, like that's incredible, could have ever imagined the house was worth over a million? That would have been like flying cars in space level thought and then we are who are now looking at a house 1.5 are like yeah that's expensive i really i shouldn't be worth more than 1.35 but you know <laughs> tough market 30 years from now with as much money as our country's printing 100 to 1.5 1.5 should now be 15 million and it's going to be more than that that is it's so hard for us to believe that could happen but logically speaking, looking backwards, it already has happened. It has happened. And it, we printed it makes, a lot less money than yes, we did this time. That's the yeah. point. We printed way more money. It's silly to think that's not going to happen. And at the same time, I don't want to go too far off this road, but if you don't invest your money, it's being significantly reduced in value because we printed so much. The stakes are much higher to put your money in real estate in markets that it's going to grow. I don't want to be the guy that everyone says David Green doesn't believe in cash flow. Please don't hear me saying that. It's just been abused. It's been treated like the only reason you should buy real estate. But the people that have done well in real estate, you guys hear the Barbara Corcoran episode we just did? Who was shocked here to hear a brilliant businesswoman say, I overpay all the time. I don't care. (laughs) That was literally her strategy. I buy in the up and coming markets. I don't really care what it's worth. I buy it. I hold it. I refinance as much money as I can. And I just go buy I overpay for another property in a great location when that tide rises, it just takes all the real sit up. And I think we've overcomplicated in many situations, a bunch of details with real estate, because it's fun to make things complicated. It helps justify inaction. It helps you feel better about the fact that you're not moving forward, but then the people that are really good at real estate don't, they don't do that at all.
1: Yeah. It's, it's a fascinating thing to look at. Yeah. The future, what it could be now that said, if you can't afford to make the mortgage payment, we don't want anybody going bankrupt here. So David's not saying I'm not saying Yeah, just buy a bad deal, whatever. It'll make itself, you know, it'll overpay for anything. It'll work itself out. You still have to find a way to Mm -hmm. make that thing make money. Now, I will make also, or at least, I mean, I'm not saying it's different for each person, right? If you make a million dollars a year, it's different than you make 60,000 a year. Uh, But I would want to at least know it's going to break even on like pure cash flow, unless you have a lot of money that you can just lose money. Now that said, I look at this different in terms of residential versus commercial as well. Mm -hmm. Because as you've said before, Residential real estate was not designed for cash flow. It wasn't designed as an no investment.
0: do you listen to me this much? I, I feel really lot. good right now. I have said that before. Yeah,
1: because I just rip, I just rip it off, and then I say it was me. So. Uh Residential real estate was not designed to be an investment producing. Yes. But commercial real estate and apartment complex was built to produce a return for an investor. Yes. So now it doesn't always, just because it's commercial real estate does not mean that it's making you a return, but that's the point of commercial real estate. Right. So, and we're also like commercial real estate investors who are experienced are also way better at actually predicting returns than the person who's buying a house because they don't know what they're doing and they don't have the experience. So if you really want the cash flow, my encouragement is, okay, great. Get into the cash flow game then, which yeah. is commercial, commercial, yes. multifamily, commercial, that kind of stuff. So
0: that's a great point. Yeah. And you, and then, you know, this is true. If you just take a minute to think about the way that commercial properties are valued, it's based on the NOI. Yes. And then the cap rate, which confuses everybody. We we had a, Hey Maria, we were doing a, a Spartan league call and I was explaining what cap rate was to everybody. And the easiest way to, to look at that complicated concept is it's a measurement of the demand for that asset class in an area. The lower the cap rate is, the more people want to own that. And those are the two levers that move commercial real estate is what's your net operating income, the profitability of the property, and what is the demand for properties in that area, the cap rate. And if you understand those, you can find income-producing properties. But the appraisal is based off of how much money it makes. You know what yes. we base the appraisals of a residential real estate? What the morons next door paid for their house who know yep. nothing about real estate. Yep. It's the silliest way of it's not based <laughs> on what it would cost to build another house. It's not based on like what the materials are worth today. It's not based on an algorithm of supply and demand and wages in the area. It's literally, well, Tom and Mary paid 400000 <laughs> for theirs, and I don't want to pay more than that, yeah. or I feel okay paying this because that's what they paid for theirs. It's silly how we use it, the comparable approach with residential real estate, but that's because that was not built to make money. No. The people that are buying it don't understand finances. It was literally built to make you feel better emotionally about spending money on a house because someone else had already spent the same thing. which is funny that we're like that, right? Like when you think about what you're paying for a car, it's, well, how much does other people pay for that car? Yeah.
1: This is, you know, the other reason why I, you know, why in the multifamily space, the commercial space, the self storage space, why I'm excited about all those right now. And I'm not super worried. Yeah. Is a recession coming? What do you, how many guys think a recession, like something bad is coming up ahead? (laughs) Not a lot of you. Wow. Okay. So let me think something might might bad. It might, I definitely think we might see something bad. All right. 30 years from now, is real estate worth more or less in Austin than it is today? Probably more. Significantly more. Why? Because everybody's still moving to Austin. Even if it will slow down, it has slowed down. I'm still buying in Austin. I'm still buying in Houston. I'm still buying in Dallas. I'm still buying in Atlanta. I'm still buying in Florida. We're buying in all those markets because 30 years from now, it's still fine. So even if we do see a dip, as long as I can hold through it, because cash flow is a defensive metric, and then rents go up because remember when all the government's printing all that money and all the inflation happens and the house, the cost of a house was a hundred. And now it's a million. Like we talked about Mm -hmm. rent was 10,000. I mean, $10 and now it's a hundred dollars. So rents are also going up, right? This is common sense, but I think we all need a reminder that rent today at a thousand dollars in Austin will be $10,000 a month in Austin, 30 years from now, maybe 20,000 a month, maybe 30,000 a month, but you know, what didn't change the mortgage mortgage. payment. If you, that, and this is why I think the biggest lesson that we have learned at Opener Capital and completely adjusted, and a lot of others have, is how important the debt is. And so we have, a sh- we have adjusted our whole entire philosophy around debt and how we're getting mortgages to be much more conservative. Like, I'd rather pay a higher interest rate but have a longer-term loan all day long. Because if you can wait it out, then where are you going to lose?
0: Yeah. You mentioned the rents that you could have got on your Ohana unit in Maui, $2,000, right? Yeah. What do you think they are today, five years later? At least three. Okay, so I'm at getting, least I'm three. getting three from Ryan. Yeah, Ryan. and Thanks. if if Brand is getting three, he could be getting yeah, four and a half. that's and a fifty
1: percent increase in rent in, in five, five years. years right, fifty percent so increase. So
0: fifty percent over every unit would go from nine thousand to thirteen thousand five hundred. Yeah, on okay? every single unit. And it was like, well, I might be breaking even. Turns yeah. into forty five hundred dollars a month of cash flow plus yeah. a couple million in equity because you bought in the right location. I don't know why with real estate we look at appreciation through equity as speculation and not guaranteed. But we don't look at the fact that as things inflate in price, rent is one of those things. Yeah. And the better area that you buy into, the more you're going to see that increase. It's relatively safe to assume. Rents will not go up every year, but over a 30-year period of time, people are going to be paying $75,000 a month of rent. And we are not going to think that's weird. They're going to want, like, we're just (laughs) going to, that's what happens with money. And we see that if we look back 100 years, but looking in the future, that feels scary. Of course, it's scary, but it's logical. Yeah. That's right. that's why holding real estate for a long period of time makes so many people wealthy. Yeah. All right, burr strategy. We got five minutes left. Burr strategy. Does it work today? How does it work today? I think Burr's one of the only things that works in today's market. It's very difficult. The people that criticize Burr are usually criticizing the fact it doesn't cash flow at the end. You're not criticizing Burr. You're criticizing buy and hold real estate, period. A lot of stuff is not cash flow like it was. The metric that I use when I'm looking at how to make money in real estate is there's 10 different ways that you actually make money in real estate. One of them is buying equity. That's buying a property below market value. One of them is forcing equity. That's adding value to the property. One of them is market appreciation equity. That's buying in a market that is more likely than the surrounding markets to go up in value. One of them is natural equity. That's buying property and the value going up because the country printed a bunch of money, right? If you get the right timing in the economic cycle, you buy in the right location, you buy below market value and you force value. If you make money in those four ways with the bird deal, you've already done really well. Now, is it going to cash flow at the end? Hopefully it comes close. But if you bought a property in Austin right now that, that lost you $300 a month in one of the best neighborhoods that you can find and rents are going up by $100 a month in general in Austin, Texas, did you buy that property to own it for one year? I lost you on that. Sorry one. about that. He was thinking about my microphone who buys <laughs> real estate and they plan to own it for one year and then just let it go. Does anyone do that? How long do we intend to hold real estate for forever? Right? So let's take forever and say that's a 40 year period of time. Are we analyzing for 40 years of rent, or do we analyze for the rent in the first year you buy it? And if it doesn't work, we throw it on the heap and we look for the next property. Does that make any sense to do to analyze for year one cash flow when you intend to hold a property for 40 years? But when you do that, what happens is it sucks you into the D-class neighborhoods where you really should never be investing at all because the year one rents look really good. You get pulled into this spreadsheet magic is what I call it, that it looks like it's going to perform. And then those properties trade hands every two years because nobody ever makes it work in there. What if you just took a 40-year approach at looking at what our cash flow is going to be? Can I survive losing 300 a month and 200 a month and 100 a month and then breaking even and in year 5 I'm profitable, but my property has appreciated by a significant amount because supply is rest- is constricted in Austin, demand continues to increase, wages continue to go up, jobs continue to move there. You then look like a genius in year 10 where the people who told you that you were a fool for buying it. Again, I'm not saying be reckless with cash flow. But if you burr properties in markets like that and you live financially responsibly so that you can bear that little like immediate gratification being delayed, you're going to become very, very wealthy. It just isn't the way that this has been taught for so long. It feels, do you feel dirty hearing this? Like we're doing something <laughs> terrible telling people this message?
1: Well, I, I just look at it from a slightly different approach and I'm, I'm not saying you're wrong in any way here. I'm always pushing people to ask the question, how do I get it to at least break even or cash
0: flow? how do I get the benefit of breaking even? What? What's the benefit of breaking even
1: break even on on pure cash flow, Meaning there's, if I lost my job, had zero income, at least the thing can, can stand on its own. Okay. So what what if it it was
0: losing a hundred dollars a month?
1: Yeah, I don't, I ideally, I don't want that on a scalable model. If I'm buying one property, it's not a big deal. If I'm buying 50 properties, I'm losing a hundred dollars a month. That's a problem, right? So I want, I want 50, I'm a scale guy, right? So I'm thinking in terms of 50, hundred units, I want, I want it to at least stand on its own now. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to ask the question, how do I get to do that? I got to use an example yesterday and it's a silly example, but it just explains how my mind then operates on this. Somebody was, uh, was talking to in here about buying in Hawaii or buying something in Hawaii. So I said, imagine this in Hawaii, you can buy a house and you can put on potentially two, or at least in Maui, you can put on two, what we call Ohana's two ADUs. So for one house, you can actually have three. We also have a thing called CPRing, which is where you take a lot and divide in half. You can then on that half put a house and you can put two on it. Now, none of that's easy in any way, shape, or form. But then I go, okay, imagine you build Imagine you build, or you buy and renovate a house and you build or renovate uh, that house to be an unofficial two units or maybe even three units where you have some, I mean, it's all legal. I'm not saying do anything illegal. I'm Put a door lock in this one section because you're designing the house. You're building it. So you put a door here that closes off this section from this section. So now I can rent it. Now, instead of, Three units on one property. I've now got four units on one property. And now I CPR'd it and I have eight units on one property. Mm -hmm. And I live in the one bedroom in one of these units and I have seven other units here in Hawaii. Would that likely cash flow? Yes. There is a way to make that work, even on a new construction, new build, because I started with the idea saying, how do I get this to make money? Now I'm not saying it's, it's, again, not easy. They don't like to give CPRs, it takes a long time, the permits are annoying. There's a lot of things here, but just starting with the idea, asking the question, "How do I?" instead of "Can I?" Like, "Can I find cash flow?" No. How do you find cash flow? That's a great question. So, if you, I guess, on the small scale, I would, I would love to encourage people that way. But thoughts?
0: So, I like if you're saying it, you wanted to break even, that puts pressure on you to do what you're describing. Yeah. To be less comfortable, to yep. do more work, to figure out yes. how to maximize the highest investment. And that means that you
1: might have to manage the property yourself potentially on an Airbnb. It might mean you have to do some, yeah, you have to even paint the unit and do all your own drywall. I don't know. Like, but I like thinking how, if you can't afford to just buy and wait, like, which is what you're saying.
0: That's the only way I'm seeing people make money in today's market is they have to be creative like that. You have to understand the fundamentals of real estate. You have to look at a floor plan and be like, I doesn't need this much space in this area. I could put up a wall and I could make a separate unit over here. Uh, We do that on the David Green team. I'm doing this for people that I'm giving advice. You won't go find something that's just turnkey, pretty right out of the box that you can say it's going to cash flow. And what people who don't understand this do is they just analyze 900 deals and hope that they like find gold, like the gold miners, you know, shaking their pan in the river. Nope, there was no gold nugget in that one. Let me just go do it again. It's an inefficient way of your time. You're better off to look exactly like what Brandon said and try to find those properties. For the person who's, who we're saying, if it doesn't cash flow, don't buy it at all. My thought would be if you're spending $3,000 a month, $2,500 a month on rent, you're already losing money. If you buy a property that you lose $1,000 a month, but it's saving you $2,000 a month in rent, you're, it's like cash flowing $1,000 a month. That's, to go back to house hacking, this is why it is so powerful to house hack. Because if you're spending money on your rent, you are throwing away money already. And often, like what you dubbed the sneaky rental tactic When you do exactly what you said, you buy the property, you turn it into more units, you live in one of them, you sacrifice your comfort, you get it in good real estate. Well, then when you move out, it often does cash flow the unit you were living in. And then you go put 5% down on your next primary residence property. And you can do this every year for 5% down forever. That's really all that you guys need to do. You want another way you want to be millionaires? House hack a house every year, do what Brandon said, only buy properties with enough square footage that you can turn them into several units, manage them yourself, give up the comfort to do that, at the end of 15 years, you'll have 15 properties in some of the best neighborhoods you never could have bought in. You will have never paid rent the entire time. You'll be a multimillionaire because you were less comfortable.
1: Mm. All right, man, let's shift slightly uh, gears here. I think we got three minutes and 22 seconds left. So what opportunities do you see in uh, the future? In Meaning like macro
0: scale, like what's going to work in the future that you think uh, real estate wise? I'm more worried about like I have an outlook that's almost bleak. I think we've been thinking offensively for the last 10 years because you could make so much money just buying real estate and inflation carrying it up. I don't know. I just want to come out and say I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know any of this. I could very well be wrong. My gut tells me looking at this data, there is nowhere to put money that isn't real estate that keeps ahead of inflation. Can anyone in here go buy bonds and beat inflation right now? We saw what happened with the banks that isn't that crazy that banks went out of business because they bought too many bonds? Mm-hmm. It's like your kid got sick because they ate too much broccoli. <laughs> the safest move you could possibly make ended up being risky because we raised interest rates so much to try to fight inflation. Can, can you go buy mutual funds and be, it beat inflation? And I don't mean the CPI. I mean like we printed 80% of our money supply over a two and a half year period from 2020 to 2022. It's all of the investment options for the most part, except for a handful of stocks, if you're maybe really good or you get lucky, are gone other than real estate. Real estate's the only place to put your money. And then when you work in the tax advantages, the equity growth, the way that you can add value, you can force it. If you're good at investing in real estate, that's the only place to put money, period, that can beat inflation. So there's so many people that are competing with us for these assets. And if we walk in with this attitude, like I need a 10% cash on cash return from year one, or I'm not going to buy it, that's fine. Blackstone will buy it and they're happy to break even. We were making fun of them 10 years ago, buying houses at auctions and overpaying. Uh How many people didn't want to buy a house in 2014 because it was appraised at 400 and you had it under contract at 410 and you walked away and said, I'm not dumb. I'm not going to (laughs) overpay. A lot. You just walked away from hundreds of thousands of dollars over your ego. Oftentimes, right? I'm more worried about if you don't get real estate now, you may never get it. There may come a point where only wealthy people own real estate and we get to a situation where what you own is what you're going to have. And the work you did in the past is what you have going forward. And there's not opportunities everywhere like there are now. I recognize that's bleak. I hope that's not the case. I'm not advocating for that. It looks to me like we've made so much money. The money needs a home. Is it hard raising money in the last 10 years? It hasn't been. No, it's been the easiest thing ever because there's so much of it. Yeah. that It has to find a place to go. Real estate and tech stock, tech companies were the place it was all going angel investors have sort of stopped moving in the tech space as much as they were. And guess where that money goes? It goes into real estate. How much did Blackstone just raise? 40 billion, 45 billion, something Something along those lines. A lot. Yeah. And more people are going to be copying what they're doing. And now they're moving into the single family space. I'm more worried that we're going to be pushed out of the world that we're in. than we're going to have a big crash and there's going to be tons of free properties and it's going to be a free for all. It's hard for me to see that happening again. Yeah. Same. All right, so this
1: episode of A Better Life with Brandon Turner is actually going to be uh, a two parter. So the first part was here live. Uh, we're going to transition now, for those listening on the podcast, over to a recording that we're going to do in the Seashed later this week. So, and we'll do the rest of the questions there. So, in the meantime, uh, let's get back to the conference. So, David, thank you for uh, joining me today.
0: Thank you guys. Can we give up for Brandon putting this together? Give up to David.
1: Dude, that was a fun conversation we just had at the uh, Better Life Real Estate Investing Summit. So thank you for joining me on stage that day.
0: That was a blast, man. Everything that I do with you is fun. I don't know that we've ever had an experience that was painful or even mediocre. Well, it's always been fun. Some painful when we rolled. Yeah, that's hard, but that's going to be painful no matter who you (laughs) do (laughs) it.
1: All right. So what I want to do here is I want to ask some of the follow-up questions that I normally ask on the show. We didn't get to one stage because we only had 50 minutes or whatever, 5-0, to actually record that one. So I want to... Throwing the actual better life questions, the one that I ask everybody. The first one I asked you earlier, uh, and you wanted some time to think about it, and then I forgot to bring it back up again. But charity you of your choice, what breaks your heart? What do you want us to give the money from this episode towards? I
0: end? like what you're doing with the Tim Tebow Foundation, especially oh, just because so. I see how Im- how impacted you were yeah. by that thing. Um, cool man. And I think Tim Tebow is one of those guys that you're just like he just seems unreal. Like how is a human this resilient, this positive? Yeah deals with this many setbacks and just keeps on coming back. This selfless. Yeah. Like there's something superhuman about him. And you may know what that is better than me because you've actually met him. But if he's behind mm-hmm. it, I would it's easy to get
1: behind. Yeah, man.
0: Cool. We will do so. I love that. Thank you. All right,
1: next segment of the show. It's called past, present, future. It's three questions. One about your past, one about your present, one about your future. What advice would you give your past self?
0: To be way more aggressive. I would have told myself to not worry as much about failing, to not worry as much about the voice that says you're not good enough, to get out there and do a lot more things. Mm. I was too conservative. Too conservative. Do you think that still applies
1: in a market like today, where uh, it's a lot harder? Obviously, the last you know, we talked about this earlier on the actual show, but like it's a different market than it was. I don't think we can expect 10% per year appreciation. Maybe we can, but it's probably different than it was. Uh, Would you still think that today going forward, should you be more aggressive than you've been
0: thinking? Not just with real estate investing. I think in life, right? Yeah. This is the thing about real estate investing that I don't think it's talked about a lot. It should function more as a carrot than as a tool to solve a problem. Explain that. So we tend to look at real estate like I have a problem. I don't have a girlfriend. I can't afford a dog. I don't like my job. I'm sitting in commute traffic. I, I feel uninspired. There's something wrong with my life. If I only had enough cash flow. if I only had enough real estate, all of those problems would be fixed, mm. and then we say, "Okay, well, what do I need to do? I need money to buy real estate. Oh, I don't have any money. How do? What do I do? How do?" Now we're getting into creative strategies, strategies that take money up front but don't always have money, or you end up buying real estate that we would probably caution you not to buy because you're trying to make it work. Whereas if you said, "Okay, I really want to buy real estate. I really want to have financial freedom. Uh, what's stopping me? Well, I have no cash. Well, why don't I have cash?" Mm -hmm. Well, because I've been working the same job as a delivery truck driver for 12 years, never pushing myself out of my comfort zone. Well, Why is that? Well, my mom one time when I was young said, you're never going to be smart like your brother. And I believed it. And for the last 12 years, I've thought I can only do this. Well, Maybe that's where we need to start. Maybe you need to be pushing yourself a little bit more. Maybe you need to take some more risks with your life. Let real estate be the carrot that helps you overcome the obstacles that you have inside, psychologically, mentally, emotionally, whatever the case, maybe you're in a relationship that is not good for you, but you're comfortable there. And if you wanted more, you would go start a business. You'd go take a new job. You would go take on a new challenge. You develop a new identity in some way. And and that would be natural if you cut off the thing that's stopping you from doing that. So most of the positive changes that I've made in my life, the businesses that I started, the things that I did were because I wanted to buy more real estate. and I needed more money. Mm. Then as I became a different David, the money started to come in and it opened up those doors. That's good, man. Second question, present. What are you currently
1: doing in your life? Uh, like, What have you like recently done in your life that has given you a better life? Could be an action, could be a habit, could be a just something that you're currently like, oh yeah, I'm working on this and my life is getting better because of it.
0: Two things. I listen to a lot more sermons than mm-hmm. I ever did before. So there's pastors in my head talking about the word constantly and reframing. I don't think you realize how much The culture gets into you until you put something else in there and it clashes, Mm. right? So you live in this world that we all have to live in and our values are being subconsciously molded without us realizing. And it's the stuff that you don't pay attention to that's going to hurt you, right? Like you're around a bunch of people that eat a certain kind of food. You start eating that food. Years go by of eating that food. I remember one time you told me that to you when you were young, your family had salad with every single dinner, but it was often like fruit salad, jello salad, like yes. some kind of dessert, basically. Yes. But that was just a normal thing to do, right? You did not realize that wasn't healthy until you got around other people yeah, or yeah, parents. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Or until you put something healthy in your body, yeah. right? You went and ate some spinach. You're like, this tastes disgusting. Why well, do other people eat this all the time? Well, it's clashing with the jello salad that I've been having all the time. So, I'm not immune to that. Nobody's immune to that. Living in the culture we are, we are being influenced by it. We're listening to music and oftentimes don't even think about the lyrics. Then you listen to lyrics like, this is horrible. This is actually staunchly opposed to everything that I believe is good. And this is playing in the background all the time. My mind is just soaking it up. So uh, that has been one thing I think that's been very influential for me. And the other thing has been um, the last four weeks were an exception, but before that last six months, I've been lifting weights really consistently. So I basically just came up with a super simple program where every workout had to be a little bit harder than the last one. That's it. Could literally be one more rep in the workout. So I put out, okay, these are the four exercises I'm going to do on chest day. And these are the weights I'm going to do. And then the next day, I'm like, well, I could add a fifth exercise. And then once I had five exercises, I said, okay, I could probably lift the weight a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And then when I got to as much as the weight that I could do, I said, okay, I can probably take a break and I could do another set. So instead of three sets of eight, I did four sets of eight. And then when I got up to six sets of eight, now it's time to go increase the weight again and cut back down to three, right? So as long as there is something that I'm doing better every single workout, it is impossible for me to not be getting stronger and more fit. And it took all this pressure off of myself to have the perfect plan, like, you know, the idealized way I need to go hire a person who's an expert at this. And I need to listen to what bodybuilders are doing. You don't need to do any of that. Like when you're not in shape, just showing up is really all you have to do. So then I got to combine those two things, long workouts at the gym paired with listening to sermons the entire time. And it actually kind of became fun. Anybody in particular you're listening to that you like a lot that you can recommend? That's really good. There's a guy named Vlad Savchuk that I've been listening to that has been really good. Uh, Robert Morris and Jimmy Evans, I listen to a ton of Mark Driscoll. I go to his church every time I'm in Scottsdale. I really listen to him quite a bit. And then one of the things I like about the algorithm of social media, everyone talks about like, it's a terrible thing, right? Like it sucks you in, you never get out. It's kind of nice that it figures out, well, you like this guy. So maybe you're gonna like this guy too. Mm-hmm. And I don't have to actually go figure it out. Yeah, just yeah, what do you know? Sure. That yeah. That's another person to listen to. It's so true, man. That's awesome.
1: All right. Uh, last question about this section of this uh,
0: segment, past, present, future. What do you want your legacy to be? You know, man, I've been thinking about this a lot. And the only clarity I have on this, because this is the number one problem in my life. What do I want it to look like? Mm-hmm. I know I don't want to keep going the way I was. I don't know what I want to do instead. Uh, The only piece of clarity I have right now, which means that's the step that I have to take in order to get the rest is that I want to be around you more and see what develops (laughs) out of that. Because when I'm around you, I get clarity on what I want my legacy to be, what I want to be spending my time doing, who I need to become in order to do that. When I'm separated from you, I just, it's not like I'm doing nothing, right? But I end up treading water is the best way to put it. I end up trying to maintain what I've got. And because we don't do the podcast together anymore we spend less time together. I see less of what you're doing. And then I get around you again. And it's holy cow. I thought Brandon was doing a lot before you've 10 X almost every single area of your life. And had I been with you on that journey, I would have getting pulled along in the same direction. So I don't know yet what I want the legacy to be. I know I want it to be something of service and something of, uh, being countercultural. I think, I think that the values that we operate by are much more influential than we realize. And one of the, one of the I don't know if the gifts I have, one of the passions I have, that's a better way to put it is to staunchly call out some of the things that people get caught up in the current of and they just go along with it. And it's not till you put your foot down and you say, I'm not going along with the current that you feel the current. Think about that. Like you're, you're, you're going down a river. As long as you're going down the river, you don't realize there's yeah. a current. The minute that you say, I'm going to put my foot down. Oof, that's a lot of pressure, man. That's been there this whole time. So trying to call that out for other people is something that really gets me fired up. That's good, man. I love that. Next segment of the show, I'm going to ask you just a, uh, a few
1: general questions, kind of a revolving financial freedom, wealth, et cetera. I don't have a name for this segment, but first one starts like this. If you were to lose all your wealth that you've built, millions of dollars of wealth tomorrow, and you had to start back again, you had to build it up again, what would you do?
0: Well, that could happen, to be fair. I mean, like wealth, it comes and goes pretty frequently for a lot of different people. The thing that you'll never lose is the knowledge that you gained when you were doing it and the character that you built when you were doing it. It's so much more valuable to focus on who you're becoming than just what you have. How many crypto millionaires did we see in the last 3 years? Yeah. That worth went from 0 to 3 million dollars, right? Well, when they lost their crypto, what did they still have? Easy come, easy That's go, thing, right? Yeah. They probably didn't have anything, right? Yeah. Now, let's say that you built a uh pool cleaning or a landscaping business to 3 million dollars and then the landscape part in the pun of landscaping changed. And all of a sudden, people don't have uh, lawns anymore. And you lost your entire company. All your employees quit. You're left with a bunch of uh, of material and vehicles you had to sell. You still have the knowledge of what it took to build a business. You're going to be able to do it much faster. So uh, your question was, what would I do if I lost everything? Yeah. What would you do to build it back? I would find a cause that makes me excited and passionate about every day. And I would apply all the principles that I used to build a real estate team and a loan company in my own portfolio. and apply those skills towards that cause. Oh,
1: here's a question then on that.
0: Would you use real estate again now to
1: build wealth or would you build wealth in some other way and then just dump it into real estate? I don't think you're going to leave real estate because you love it too much, but, or you love the the wealth of it, but you know, that's a good point. Would you build it elsewhere. When you look
0: at where real estate really benefits you, it's always way further down the line. Mm -hmm. It is not an efficient way to build, to like create wealth out of nothing. It Mm -hmm. is a much better way of growing wealth you've already built. That's a great point. Robert Kiyosaki has a good line where he says the purpose of business is to buy real estate. Mm. There's this wonderful relationship between making money in business and uh, growing money and sheltering taxes with real estate. You almost need, it's like when the blades of a scissor are working perfectly to ask which one of them is more important, it's kind of silly. You got to have both of them to make that happen. So uh, and that's kind of how my life looks is I, my businesses are based in real estate. There's some form of service yep. around real estate. So I think if what you want is a lot of money, you're better off to become an entrepreneur and start a business. If what you want is a way to protect money that you've already got and grow it, what you want is real estate. So I would I would make the money through business. All right. That's good.
1: In the next list uh, section, I'm going to call fill in the blank. I'm making this up as I go, but I like this sex- idea. I've been playing with this idea for a section.
0: I'm
1: going to say a line. With a blank, and I want you to restate the line that I said and then to fill in the blank. Okay. And it's got to be quick under 30 seconds. This is social, maybe under a minute. Social media fodder right here. All right? right. All right. The secret to building wealth is blank.
0: The secret to building wealth is to learn how to solve a problem the marketplace has and bring value to the marketplace, which is, I know, a uh, vague term about bringing value, but if you just think about it, it's doing something that someone else needs in a way that's very good.
1: Very good. Next one. The let's see, a good fill in the blank one.
0: One of the biggest mistakes
1: people make when building a real estate empire is blank. And then
0: one of the biggest mistakes people make when building a real estate empire is failing to account for how delayed gratification is so important. We're only focusing on one of the ten ways that real estate makes money. The most common one is cash flow. Everybody is out there looking for cash flow. It leads them into buying in the wrong locations, the wrong types of properties, or choosing the wrong tenant in order to try to get an immediate payoff. Real estate really works well over the long-term. It's tough to make it work well in the short-term. So the more your immediate need to get out of pain is present, the more likely you are to make poor decisions when it comes to long-term wealth through real estate. I think everyone's first deal should be. I think everyone's first deal should be the house that they live in. Getting rid of your biggest expense, which is your housing expense, is the number one thing you can do to improve your financial position. And you'll see that if you stop narrowing in on your real estate portfolio and you zoom out and you look at your entire financial picture. If I looked at your budget, which is really the first step is make a budget, I could quickly see where most of the money is going. And if we can solve those problems, 80% of it is already done. If I had learned this when I was 20, I'd be so much wealthier today. When I was 20, if I had learned that it's okay to try and fail and it's not an indictment on who I am as a person, I would be way better off than where I am today. I was so measured, so calculated, and so risk-averse. Really, it was rejection-averse, if I'm being honest about it, that I missed out on opportunities that other people took advantage of that I would have been way more suited to do well in.
1: The best piece of financial advice I ever got was,
0: or a life-changing piece of financial advice I once got was, A life-changing piece of financial advice that I once got was never stop saving your money. It's very easy when you start to make money easier to assume it's always going to be coming in, start to spend money like it's always going to be coming in. Now my expectation of what I think I deserve in life, I start to become entitled and I think that it's normal to be driving a Porsche or a Ferrari or eating in expensive restaurants all the time. Now I'm attracting people into my life that still have that same way of looking at money where they don't value it. You actually lose appreciation for money when you treat it like it's cheap. That's great, man. All right, next segment of the show. This is called the
1: three, two, one. Three books that have made a pivot in your life. Like we call them pivot books where your life was going one direction. You read it, you went another direction. So three books, pivot books, two people you look up to, and one quote you live
0: your life by. Three books: Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink, Pitch Anything by Orrin Klopp. And So Good They Can't Ignore You by Cal Newport. Absolutely impacted my life significantly, which doesn't happen all the time. Two people I look up to, you would definitely be one of them. I am continually amazed at how you keep growing, but don't get a bigger ego. I haven't figured out how you're doing that, (laughs) but that's definitely commendable. And Patrick Bed David, I look up to him a lot. He's doing something similar to you in that he's building an ecosystem where other people can come in and they really emphasize free speech. So he's okay. He can talk to people he doesn't agree with. He can think that they're a complete moron and he will still have a conversation with them. I really value when someone is secure enough to listen to an opinion that's not theirs and then use superior debate skills to show the holes in that argument rather than just shouting them down or never letting them speak at all. There's too much of that that's going on. Yeah, that's really good, man. And what was the one?
1: One quote that you uh, live your life by.
0: And one quote I live my life by comes from Dominic Toretto from from the fast and the furious, furious. I live my life one quarter mile at a time. <laughs> <laughs> Explain that. It's actually a very cheesy line. Dominic Toretto was just basically talking about how he's very focused on only one thing, which is winning races. His whole identity is built around winning races. And so uh, he looks at the obstacle that's right in front of him and not everything else with like quarter mile is like a race that they do, right? And I've uh, learned that Navy SEALs, and they're talking about how they got through BUDS camp, which is one of the most difficult thing any human being could ever do, is you can't think about this as a two-week course or a four-week course. What you have to say is in the next 45 minutes, in the next hour and a half, I have to get through that. And when I do, they have to let me eat or they have to let me rest. There will come a break from this and I just got to get to that. And then you get there and you rest as much as you can and then you put your focus on the next little, well, it's not a little obstacle to them, but it is compared to a four-week period of time Okay, I have to go swimming for the next hour and a half. It's going to suck, but they got to feed me when I'm done. They got to let me rest when I'm done. I just got to get through the swimming. So many things become daunting when we try to look too far into the future and yeah. anticipate what's going to come instead of just the challenge that's in front of me right now.
1: Yeah, there's that that metaphor that I've been using about carrying rocks from one side of the field to the other. Yeah, If you got to carry 20 rocks that each weigh 20 pounds, that's 400 combined pounds, and it feels like a lot. It feels really heavy. But if you just focus on one rock at a time, It's only 20 pounds each time. That's it. Just move the 20 pounds, move the 20 pounds, move, just keep walking around. That's literally how I saved the money
0: to get in real estate investing. I focused every week, I had to put $500 in the bank. That was it. That's it. Working in restaurants. If I only have $400, I got to pick up two shifts this weekend that I wasn't going to work to get to $500. And if I have $600, that's great. But next week, I still got to make $500. And every week, I just put $500 in the bank. After four years of college, that was $100,000 that I had saved up. That was a down payment on my first three rental properties those things ended up becoming worth more than a million dollars. And I was sort of off to the races of real estate investing. I love it, man. Well, last question, where can people find out more about you, connect with you, learn about you, hear your stuff, all that good. Find me at davidgreen24.com. Let me know what you think about the new website. And then follow me on Instagram, on Facebook. You can find me everywhere at davidgreen24. I love it, man. Thank you for being on the show.
1: This has been A Better Life with Brandon Turner. I'm your host, Brandon Turner. Signing off. And that is the show. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of A Better Life with Brandon Turner. I hope you enjoyed the insights and the wisdom uh, brought to you today on the show. If you found value in this episode, please consider leaving us a rating and a review on your favorite podcast platform. Uh, Your feedback actually does help us improve the show. We look at the feedback. I look at the feedback. And we can reach more people with our message of living a better life. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Follow me on social, Beardy Brandon. And hey, before I go, this show is all about the habits, actions, and beliefs that can give you a better life. But in case you're interested and you want to know my opinion on what it takes to live the best life ever, and that includes some of my kind of weird spiritual beliefs, maybe, check out abetterlife.com slash best life, abetterlife.com slash best life. Thank you again for listening, and I will see you next time on A Better Life with Brandon Turner.